What is up, everyone? Welcome back to Seaweed Brain, a Percy Jackson podcast where we are officially, as of today, diving into the text of The Sun and the Star by Rick Riordan and Marco Shiro. It's just Erica and Carter here today for you, and we could not be more excited. So stick around. Yes. <laughs> When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Oh my god. Hello, Carter, my co-host of Seaweed Brain, a Percy Jackson podcast. How are you doing? Hi, Erica, my co-host of Seaweed Brain. Um, <laughs> I'm doing well. How are you? Oh, I'm I'm real I'm real excited because today we get to talk about the sun and the star. And not only do we get to talk about the text of the sun and the star, I get to kick us off by ranting about my experience (laughs) at the book tour. Yeah. For those of you who don't follow us on social media, Erica is even more famous now and is kind of responsible for a (laughs) groundbreaking and societally relevant piece of uh, art and connection. (laughs) (gasps) That's I did not I do not think about it that way. It's not framing that way in my head, but I'm kind of assuming that we might have some brand new listeners who are like popping in for this book. Hopefully, I hope. Oh, I hope you so find exciting. us. Hi. Now? Yeah, that would be really cool. So hi. First of all, hi. Second of all, if you weren't here last week, Carter recapped for us the Boston book tour. Yes, which was the first stop on the book tour on Tuesday on release day, which mm-hmm. is why we did it that way. It was the day that the book actually came out. We sat yes. there, talked about it. It's out. And then Erica, the very next day, went to the New York stop. Yes, and I had such a good time. Oh, my goodness. Um, here goes my quick uh, recap of my own experience. Um, I had the best night ever. Definitely top core memory, I think, for the rest of my life. It was just so much fun. Our great friend Robert, aka The Damn Me Page, aka host of 1,000 different podcasts and frequent Seaweed Brain guest, um, got us our tickets because I was having, if you will recall, a (laughs) meltdown about whether or not I was going to get... My anxiety convinced me that this children's bookstore was going to sell out within like four hours of the tickets coming out. And Robert was like, I got this. Don't worry. I had a pact with like a hundred different people where it was like, as soon as that NYC link drops, we're going to get the tickets for each other. And Robert happened to be there as soon as the link happened and got us a ticket. So we were in the second row, thanks to my anxiety. And it was awesome. Like just being that close to the stage. I have like, I don't know if other people experience this. I don't know if you've ever experienced this Carter, but like concert performance anxiety where like you go to a show for someone who is like you have a parasocial relationship with them and it has prevented me throughout my life from like wanting to attend concerts because I'm like oh I'm gonna be like in the same room as this person who like exists in my head it's gonna be weird and like they're not gonna like hug me and like therefore like why would I go to this event it's gonna like shatter my like imaginary anyway I was wondering if that was gonna happen with Rick Riordan and it didn't like (laughs) I think part of like being super close to the stage it was just so cool I was like I had some of that like welling like concert anxiety coming up and then the second they came out on stage I was like oh my god Rick is a real person (laughs) that was my first time being in the same room as Rick and he was just right there and he was so sweet and like 
the entire show was just perfect and I loved the bits. I loved Stephanie Laurie starring as Gorgaira, Gorge Ira, and the wig and the unplaceable Italian accent. Everything about it was impeccable. Everyone was so dropped in. And I was particularly just like proud of how well-spoken both Mark and Rick are, you know? Yeah. Not all authors are performers you know yeah mark was there to play mark was there to engage and have a good time and to riff and to share and rick is a professional like (laughs) rick was giving i did star in a rock band in high school (laughs) he'd been doing this he is one of the most famous living authors um (laughs) internationally like he was so dropped in and he was giving so much of the spotlight to mark it was really giving like you know rick was kate blanchett and mark was michelle yo and they were doing their actors on actor series that's an analogy okay i see the yeah, like yeah the mutual love and respect and admiration and just like this is the time for mark to shine you know and we're gonna commit to letting mark shine it was just so fantastic and i was screaming basically the entire time and just like i couldn't have anything in my hands because i was just like clapping and <laughs> snapping every 10 seconds everyone was cheering it was great and all the like tidbits of information was really cool i will say like having like read the book beforehand I think was extra special because I got to know like what they were talking about and what they were referencing and when they were talking about like certain parts of the book I knew what they meant and when they said like don't ask us who wrote what part because everything was a collaboration I felt that that was very true like there are lines here and there and I think we we can't avoid every now and then being like (laughs) Mark wrote that line or like this is obviously a Rick section where like they may have physically jotted down the prose that ended up there but in all does feel like a really special collaboration does feel like the start of a new era of the reardon verse Mm -hmm. who knows if mark will get to write more books with rick who knows if rick will have other co-authors in the future hunters of artemis novel (laughs) rachel's but their novel uh dionysus novel it just proves that like this can be done and it can be successful especially under the tutelage of the great stephanie laurie Mm -hmm. and because stephanie was such a large part of this collaboration i just love that they incorporated her into I didn't realize that she was going on every stop on the book tour, that she is a fixture of the book tour and the way that it has been prepared. (laughs) But good for her. She was the moment. Oh, yeah. The greatest disappointment, only disappointment of the night was that we didn't get Becky. Apparently, Becky only showed up to the Boston book tour. Yeah. Yeah. That's where they're like based besides. I guess they wouldn't be in Vancouver now that filming's done, but they're, they're Boston located. But okay. Um, Tell tell us about your celebrity interaction recognition uh, moment. No, 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 no. Um, the day of uh, thanks to Carter convincing me it wouldn't matter. Like why not just, I like emailed um, the Disney Hyperion PR person and I was like, Hey, name redacted. Um, (laughs) I live in New York if there's any free time before the show and they didn't get back to me, which is fine. Um, <laughs> we'll, we'll definitely secure the bag on Liam and Karen coming on the show who <laughs> talked to Rick and Mark. So it's basically like we get to talk to Rick and Mark. They're both scheduled to come on for Sun and the Star episodes soon, as are some very exciting other guests for this book that we have lined up. That's a, that's a teaser for you. Gasp. Who could it be? Gasp. Members of the fandom. If you follow us on Twitter, you know. Um. <laughs> oh, maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Ooh. Um, no, it was really sweet. Yeah. Mark Mark said hi at like in like the first three minutes of the tour because I was sitting in like their direct eye line. And because Eric and Mark um, have, and we kept have making conversed eye contact. On, on multiple occasions. 
<laughs> we just kept making eye contact. And Mark was like, hi, Erica. And then I got to say hi to so many people after the show. And it was so lovely. And there were people who like came down the aisle to say hi to Robert and I, and, like, which was really nice because they were swimming upstream, you know, against the crowd of people trying to go get their t-shirts. So that rocked. There were some people in the balcony who like shouted hi at the end to Robert and I, like while we were down in the in the trenches. Um, and that was really sweet. And just got to, yeah, hang out with people, look at everyone's amazing cosplays and enjoy, enjoy the community. I even, I talked to some people who were just like around me, which was awesome. There was like a little kid in my row who was like little, like possibly seven, sat down and just opened up the book and was just jaw drop, just like slowly flipping through the pages, like <laughs> so enamored and like immersed and excited and like pulling her mom's shirt and being like, look at this. I was just like, oh my God, the future. There was like a 13 year old sitting behind me with like rainbow makeup on who was with her mom. It was all just so special. Predominantly though, I would say people in their 20s, <laughs> which was iconic. But yeah, overall, I had the best time. I'm really proud of this fandom and just like, I feel like we're Gorge and like yeah, yeah. Rick and Mark are gorge and like beautiful and like good at public speaking and i'm just like so proud to be someone who supports them <laughs> and happy to have shared that moment with everybody and this whole week was just not so wild yeah the amount of people that they got to see around the world i mean around the united states and one stop in canada so there is another side to the fame story that you might not know if you don't follow us on twitter or instagram but there is also an iconic piece of fan art of nico that <gasps> exists yeah! in the world because of a communication between erica and mark i'm sure Alessia, it would have happened iconic regardless. artist from, I believe, Italy, right? <laughs> from literally Italy, yeah. If you went to any of the stops on the tour, you know that Mark was being a queer person and was sitting in the chairs. as in... they saw fit. Yes, as they saw fit. That chair worked for them. People have pictures from all throughout the book tour of Mark being like horizontal in these these chairs. Um, long story short, there was a photo of Mark sitting in a chair and I was like, that chair's an ally. And Mark was like, it's so true. Here's another photo of me the next night in this chair, which was being an ally. And I was like, Nico also sits in chairs like this. And Alessia was like, oh my God, I have to draw it. And then drew Nico sitting in the chair, just like Mark. And it's so cute because they're matching. And like, Mark is Nico, Nico is Mark, you know? Aww. It is really cool to like be, yeah. to know that like, I don't know. I don't have the, maybe by the time we finish this book on the podcast, I'll have the right way to articulate this in like two sentences. But knowing that this character that we like grew up with is now in the hands of somebody so similar to us yeah, is so special. And like, I can hardly believe it. And that was a lot of what I felt reading this book. I was like, the way that Nico influenced me and then now somebody just like me is influencing Nico is wild. I think that's right. Yeah. All right. I think it's time for us to dive in to the text of The Sun and the Star. Yes. Our goal is to not spoil anything beyond what chapters we are set to talk about for each episode. So if you are not finished with the book yet, no worries. I'm not finished with the At book most... yet, so I can't spoil that much. <laughs> At most today, we'll, we'll be hitting up to and through chapter five at the most. So if you are up to and through chapter five or you don't mind spoilers through chapter five, you are welcome here in this space today. All right. We, I believe I've already talked about the dedication. We will recap really quickly. To all the Nikos, Wills, Pipers, and everyone in between, this is for you. 
May you shine as bright as the sun and the stars. I actually don't think we've talked about the dedication on the show before. It's very important. I freaked. And also, I freaked when I first Piper's. saw it. Gasp. <gasps> Gasp. What? What? A, oh. I mean, we knew she okay. had a girlfriend, but something about seeing her grouped in with this, you know, the little alphabet mafia characters <laughs> was very special. It was very sure. special and potentially foreshadowing. Gasp. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know what you mean. Okay. The first actual text is presented in a fascinating fashion. Before we have any of the chapters, we have a single page of text. There's a little uh, drawing of a black and white, uh, would you say that's a rowboat, a kayak, maybe? A canoe, I would say. A canoe, that's what it is. And we have some dialogue that presumably is from at some point later in the story and for which we currently do not have any context for. Nico D'Angelo, why don't you tell me a story? Nico bristled at that. A story? Any old story? That seemed too easy after everything they'd been through, after all the suffering. He looked to Will briefly, and his boyfriend arched an eyebrow. He looked tired, too tired, and his bandages. Nico's stomach rolled. The gauze strips were soaked through with blood again. He turned back to Gorgaira. A story about what? he asked. The nymph examined Nico's face, then Will's. Was she going to pull soul threads out of them again? Nico felt something brush his knuckles. He glanced down and saw that Will was trying to hold his hand. He opened his fingers and let Will slip his in between. Nico's heart sank. Will's grip was very weak. Nico had to do this. He had to finish what they started. The whispers called out to him. And then Gorgaira did, too. Tell me about the two of you. Immediate goosebumps from me. Wow. This was a framing device. Have we Fucking ever had a framing device before? If you don't, don't count, believe- look, I didn't want to be a half-blood. No, we have never had like a structural device like this in a Riordan Reardon book. And Rick mentioned that on the tour. He said the structure of this book is this is like the first like non-linear, mm-hmm. non-completely linear yeah. book that I've written. A lot of that came from Mark. Um, I believe this idea of this framing device was a a Mark contribution. But I, I every time there is storytelling within a book or a piece of media, you know, like yeah. if there's a play and a movie or if there's a book and a book exactly. or a book and a play, it is one of my favorite things in the entire world because you get to think about the nature of storytelling while you are ingesting the story. And it just uplifts the story itself. Because to me, I was like, oh, we're telling the story of Nico and Will. Yes. Let's sit with the importance of that. Exactly. It's saying the characters have the opportunity to reflect. It's saying the characters are understanding themselves and the value of this relationship and this way of understanding their lives as especially important and salient. And that's important. And the f- it's setting up on this very first page the fact that not only is the plot, you know, the mechanisms of whatever goes on in the story important, but the fact of telling the story itself is important. Yeah. Yes. The act of this physical book in my hands means something. And that's something we're going to keep revisiting as we get deeper with these framing devices as, as we get later on in the book. Wow. It's weighty. You know what I mean? There's yeah. weight. Okay. Should we dive in? Um, chapter Let's one. Let's go. Chapter one, baby. Uh, this is the first time we've both like had a physical book in front of us no. in a long time. <laughs> Throwback. Um, it's very fun. Okay, the first chapter begins ambiguously with what ends up being a um, question about Star Wars. Do they ever (laughs) say what the actual question is? Nico chooses Darth Vader among a list of, it seems like, Sith Lords in Star Wars. Oh, it's you'd go on a date with. Oh, it's date! Which one you'd go on a date with. Okay. (laughs) That's so much better. Nico says, 
Imagine Darth Vader removing his helmet over dinner and then staring longingly into your eyes over the table. Now that is romance. The real answer would have been Pedro Pascal. Pedro Pascal is not a Sith Lord. I think he's out of the scope of the question. Oh, okay. But yeah, I think it makes sense. Nico goes for a classic. (laughs) My favorite part of this first little interaction with Will and Kayla while we're here at camp is Nico, after this line, you say, Imagine Darth Vader removing his helmet over dinner and then staring longingly into your eyes over the table. Now that is romance. Will laughed hard, then flashed that brilliant smile of his. Why, oh why, did it feel like such a victory to make Will laugh? For a long time, Nico had assumed he himself did not have a heart. He was the son of Hades after all. Love didn't find people like him. But then came Will. Will who could melt Nico's iciness with a smile. When we hit this... Little paragraph on page five. I knew this was going to be an excellent book because already we are naming these things that I know to be true about Nico, that Nico's heart is full of ice, that Will melts Nico's heart, that like we are immediately getting like down and dirty into Nico's perspective and the relationship that Rick and Mark have with Nico is the same as the one I do. You know, a lot of this people's discourse I've seen so far online about this book has been like whether or not it lined up with their headcanon for these characters Mm, mm. because we put so much onto them throughout the years. Yes, that makes sense. This chapter is a setup chapter. It is focusing on Re-establishing Nico's relationship with Will, but also setting that in a broader social context, which is to say that Kayla and Austin, the other children of Apollo who we've been hanging out with throughout trials, are also here and they're like all friends. It seems like the implication is that when Nico is at camp and everyone's at camp and we're all hanging out, having a good time, Nico is predominantly hanging out with Kayla and Austin, the other children of Apollo. I think that's very interesting. I think it is. We had one home. Now we have two. Yeah. (laughs) I think it's really funny to watch Nico and Will talk in a group setting about dating other people. I think that's like a important hallmark of what makes absolutely uh, queer relationships interesting and successful yes. <laughs> and different. <laughs> that's <maybe>. so true. <laughs> <laughs> Freely being like, yeah, Darth Vader is so hot and your partner being like, so true. <laughs> oh. Or your partner being like, I really wish you had said instead that you wouldn't want to date somebody else. <laughs> who I think is the better answer, but who is like, yeah, also different and like not like either of us. You know, there's something very powerful yeah. about that. Um, Delightful and healthy. <laughs> when I saw this line where Nico was like, ah, it's exhausting to be one of these camp counselors. I was like, oh my God, I'm so old. Nico D'Angelo is a camp counselor now. Oh my God, where does time, where does time go? He is old. It tracks. Um, mentor Nico. Mentor Nico. Remember when Nico had to be mentored by Reyna and now he's a camp counselor? I just, I just, I just, please. I know, he's out here. I mean, like, I guess he's been, he, he has known things that other people have not known for a while. But there's something so satisfying about watching him, in his perspective, show someone something that isn't, like, a bizarre trauma that he's experienced. Like, when he's explaining to them the yeah. Grey Sisters' carriage, and we're like, oh, <gasps> that's... That's like a cutesy, homey, old-timey piece of lore that we're familiar with. Nico and us, we are all. Nico, (laughs) the two of us, listeners, we are in on a old-timey, fun camp secret that other people are not in on. And Nico's sharing that with other people. And he's like being wry and knowing and being like, oh, haha, it's not that bad, but you might get jostled a little bit. Good luck. 
that's this was another moment where i was like oh this book is gonna be so good because do you not remember less than what five episodes us being like which gray sister do you identify with (laughs) like i love the gray sisters like hag culture and nico being like i love the gray sisters like who wouldn't love them they're so weird i was like nico Nico we are all evangelist for the gray sisters and saying no you should use this and nico being like dang when we go to new york can we take the gray sisters real literally quote page eight nico didn't want to admit it to the others but he had met the sisters several times on his own and he kind of liked them they were thorny difficult stuck in their ways chaotic yet weirdly dependable they wore their darkness on their sleeves for stick's sake they all shared a single eye how could nico not appreciate them i highlighted that and i wrote said us (laughs) (laughs) yeah because kayla and austin are hopping a cab back to nyc and everyone is leaving for the summer so this is setting us up into a nice little pocket universe literally where the events of this book don't have to affect any other character in the reardon verse because no one else is at camp when we say everyone that you know rick has talked about this in the past that most people leave at the end of the summer after Kayla and Austin leave, it is literally just Nico and Will and Kyron and Dionysus at camp, which is wild. This is unprecedented times. It's giving you and your emotional support English teachers <laughs> after school. <laughs> yeah. That one day when you're there at like 545 and it's like, wow, what's what's all this Are now? Are we having a moment? <laughs> <laughs> so, said Nico, what do we do next? Will, still holding Nico's hand, guided him back up the hill. Well, we don't have any monsters to slay. Ooh, I could raise a skeleton army to perform a choreographed dance. I bet I could teach them single ladies if you like. <laughs> I I had a little conniption there. Because once again, with the, with the yes. queer culture, can we... I don't think this is a story we've actually ever recounted. Oh, are we talking about Keith on the podcast? We're talking about single ladies camp culture. Yeah, so when we were in sixth grade together and, you know... This would have been early in sixth grade, like maybe month two of sixth grade when, you know, we knew who each other were, but like did not, you know. We hadn't morphed into a friend group. Correct. Correct. Uh, Somebody who is a um, mutual friend of ours who um, y'all will never meet on the podcast because he doesn't do this. Um, uh, Will, (laughs) he he had learned part of the single ladies dance. And to back this up for context, like, did he learn a lot of it? No. Was it just that one part of the choreography where she kind of pushes her hands forward back and forth? Yes. Was it because of Glee? Yes. This happened um, when this would have been as season two of Glee was going on the air. So the single ladies, all of that would have already happened. And somebody played the song and everyone just like all 50 kids in our like two homeroom classes. In the mess hall at camp. In the mess hall at a camp got up around him on like this. This would have been like the last night that we were all there or second to last night or something. And just watched him do that one piece of choreography from single ladies for like the whole song. And yeah, over and over again. Screamed things that some of which were supportive from some people, some of which were like <laughs> kind of supportive, kind of, you know, like 50% of the people there were like boys. Bullying um, us. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. But that was iconic. And this recurred. This was something that people... It was a motif. Like people would walk up to him who were strangers not the same age as us and be like oh my god you're famous can you do the single ladies dance it became part of our like grade level wide musical theater performance where they made all oh yeah of the the nasty athletes do the dance behind him <laughs> that did happen anyway culture culture i saw that and i said that's culture okay yeah so we're left alone with nico and will at camp talking and there's like a fun amount of like exposition throughout the first part of this book where they're kind of like naming things that Nico has been through, naming things Nico and Will have 
said in their conversations, like Will being like, did you already forget that I was once your significant annoyance? Excellent. Excellent line. We did need that back. Bringing things back, making us feel like, okay, Mark did a lot of research here and we're going to make sure we are very dropped into the canon, to the lore of this relationship. Quote on page 12, but then dread prickled across Nico's skin. His body was warning him, wasn't it? Don't get too comfortable, it was telling him. He's waiting for you in Tartarus. Or have you forgotten about him like everyone else did? So here we are. At this point, we're pretty certain it is Bob. We're dropping right in. Again, we're just, we're diving in. That's the classic pacing of a Reardon verse novel. Like we're talking right here, next page, this voice, who does it belong to? Is it someone who's dead? Probably not. It's someone who's not dead. Let's go to Kyron and Mr. D and have this conversation. Yes, we're getting the problem. We're situating the problem within the relationship dynamics that exist between Nico and everyone else at camp, including Will. We are setting up both the history of the relationship between Nico and Will and also backfilling some elements and also establishing areas of potential would we say room for growth um areas that seem perhaps unsettled as well which is important yeah there seems to be some tension about the way that nico's trauma interacts with nico's identity and what that means for their relationship yes is i think at a high level what's going on here where nico will make some side comments about being a ball of darkness And it seems like we're not settled in whether or not that's a good thing or what that means or how that impacts the way that Will sees himself and sees his role in this relationship. For a while, for the first part of this book, I was like, am I projecting this? Because we talked a lot about this in our like overview and predictions episode about Will's uncomfortableness with Nico being not fully healed. Mm -hmm. And how that plays itself out. And boy, was that one thing we got probably the one and only thing we got right. Um, Are you telling me that we have the nature not launched the uh reared inverse of madness in this book? <laughs> it may be a little spoiler to say, yeah, the reared inverse of madness is not getting launched, unfortunately, everybody. Not not yet. yet. Dare I say there are loose threads left around. It's still this definitely book. getting launched. But um, anyway. Push um. down the line. There's another callback here to the Nico getting turned into a dandelion. So again, we're just like naming. Naming bits and pieces of past Nico lore. All right. Chapter two. We're talking PTSD. We're talking PTSD. We are talking (laughs) dreams. We are reflecting on things. We are literally talking PTSD. Literally. The very first line of chapter two is it always came rushing back to Nico and his dreams. I wrote out immediately PTSD. And the very bottom of that page, Will says, are you sure it's not post-traumatic stress disorder? Again, we are getting right into it direct to the substance we're naming things yeah nico responding my whole life is a disorder and that not being funny wow <laughs> it was so funny i remember <laughs> viscerally reading that at the bus stop on my way home from the tour and being like that wow real realness I, that's, i that wrote in real? my book we need to discuss nico's humor because this is a side of him that we haven't really gotten to see in several books yeah or like really see develop i mean like he was a very goofy kid you know and then he became a very emo kid and then he became a very traumatized kid and he became somebody Um, who for a while didn't see his relationships with other people as anything but professional and or transactional and limited in emotional scope so there hasn't really been a context in which it would have made sense for him to be telling jokes or to need to use humor as a shield for emotional vulnerability in the way that he does here and kind of and now he'd be using it yeah yeah (laughs) he's laughing about his trauma later down on this page on 16 
we get this like revisitation of Nico's relationship with PTSD, saying like he remembered coaching his sister Hazel through her own devastating flashbacks of her time in the underworld. He even had a frank conversation with Reina Avila Ramirez Ariano about post-traumatic stress and how it related to the memories of her father. And I'll be damned if that's not basically the only two references to Hazel and Reina through the rest of the book. I was like, you mean your best friend, Reina Avila Ramirez Ariano? Like, say her name eight more times and call her your best friend. Yeah. Where, where's the, the phone call? You know, where's the... Um, where's the love? De- debrief? Um, where's the, oh, I learned this from my um, adopted Mentor? older sister... <laughs> Uh-huh. Yeah, this was maybe one moment where my head canon of how close they are perhaps diverges now from what is being laid down as canon yeah. or what is being suggested. Not as canon. everyone learns <laughs> um, appropriate uh, feminist citation practices, and that's something for for all of us to work on. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> we find out that his the you know I think it was I want to say Tower of Near where we open up with that scene at camp where Nico is at breakfast with Dionysus. Yes. We find out that that those breakfasts that they spent together were their therapy sessions. So it was Nico waking up and recounting his dreams to Mr. D, which makes a lot of sense every single day. Oof. And if you know, if you're somebody who goes to therapy, therapy every single day is a lot of therapy. (laughs) Nico says every day, are you sure that's necessary? Mr. D's like, yeah, basically, yes. I know you've got the whole gaunt and pale son of Hades thing going on, but you're so human. You need to eat. I guess I'm used to being hungry. It doesn't bother me. But your appetite is getting worse. Along with the flashbacks and the voice in your dreams. It's I can't handle. Look here, boy. After living in exile at Camp Half-Blood all these wretched years, I've learned that you mortals are surprisingly resilient. Exactly. I'm not done. You may be resilient, but you're still human. There is no need to punish yourself with hunger just because it's what you're used to. For your mind to heal, your body must also. Gah. Okay, therapy. <laughs> <laughs> I highlighted that. I was like, oh my God, this book is about healing. Yeah. This is, I also wrote anti-2013 Tumblr core. So this is not going to be a book where we are glorifying and romanticizing Nico, like losing weight in the jar and like the depression and the angst of it all. Like this book is literally about him getting better. This book is saying, oh, you relate to this. Oh, this makes you feel something that we're going to, we're going to get better together. We're going to be eating. (laughs) Oh, you kin Nico. Did you drink water today? I didn't think so. (laughs) And with that, it is time to move on to chapter three, which is a long nightmare sequence that runs on actually through multiple chapters. (laughs) I'm so excited. This chapter three is where we um, are naming things. Nico is like, it has to be Bob the Titan. Yes. Like, right. That's the first time. It has to be Bob the Titan. Nico gives us a quick refresher on all of the Bob the sort lore. of Hades sort of Hades yes. Christmas Day Bob gets the memory wiped or rather the Titan Yapitas gets his memory wiped to become Bob works as a janitor helps Nico out then goes to rescue Percy and Annabeth and Tartarus no one knows what happened after that Nico feels guilty at this point I will say even after we've named it this first time we've said Bob we have all the evidence as to why it could be Bob I was still like but is it Bob yeah I was like what <laughs> but like is it Bob like, what if it's Riley O? Um, or like, you know, what if it's a trap? I was definitely thinking like, it's too easy. Yeah. It can't be Bob at this point. There's got to be something else. What if it's Nico's own voice from his childhood? <laughs> yeah, wait, but like, is it Bob? Or like, is, it, is Bob really uh, a metaphor? The North um. for... <laughs> is it really just a metaphor for Nico's own voice? We'll see. 
there's still time for me to be right. Yes, we get that two, these basically two pages of setup and then into the dream sequence. This dream sequence is dream sequencing. It is wild. It is surreal. We are flying between things. We begin with... We should also shout out the, again, like structural... Book physical book yeah which is um these dream sequences are colored in like a splotchy almost like watercolor smoky gray so that we can distinguish between what is a dream and what it's not which i felt when i got to this section was important because there were probably because we could easily look back probably at the end of this book and be like was it all a dream but by sectioning the pages off like this we are clearly delineating between what's a nightmare and what is actually happening because once we get to tartarus everything is going to feel like a nightmare yes and it is worth noting that in a way that is different from other books as or like I, I'm not gonna say they're the first people to ever do this, but it feels uh relatively unique and innovative that flashiness is visible from the side. So when you look at a this is what we've been talking mm-hmm. about, when you look at a, a physical copy of the book when it's closed, you can see, oh, there are some pages that are gray and some yeah. pages that are dark black and some pages that are different other shades of gray. And that's what's going on yeah. here. And we, it's a dream sequence. And we know that that dark black section was a marked contribution now that we've attended the book tour. But I did feel when reading, I was like, oh, this feels very Mark voice heavy because having read Into the Light and knowing how like sort of non-linear and um, uh, smoky a lot of those that sequencing is, this felt like something that was a very collaborative section, which was really cool to encounter. Yes. We begin with... Nico's mom, speaking Italian, she implores Nico to listen. Nico falls. We switch it up. We are in the Lotus Hotel. It seems like we're going roughly in order. Oh, like our playlist? Like our playlist. Shout out to that. It's on Spotify. You should go look it up. Um, (laughs) Speaking of Spotify, oh my God, this is time for a quick aside. You might know this if you follow us on um, Instagram. (laughs) Uh, Erica's made a Spotify debut as a uh, recording artist. Oh, (laughs) Wait, listeners, that's what? Check it out. Erica has uh, more than 4,000 monthly listeners right now after like Not three days. Not you looking days. at my Spotify profile. <laughs> you gotta you gotta find out how you can be in charge of your Spotify profile. So you can have like your artist playlist and your like profile picture and everything. I feel like I can figure that out. I'm sure there's a website. I, I know plenty of people with freaking EPs on Spotify. <laughs> I can ask them. Um. <laughs> anyway. Wow, that was an aside. Check that out. Tony <laughs> Award winner to duet. So yeah. Um, <laughs> Who am I to not ask you to stream that? Because I could make $2 in four years from now. <laughs> um, we're in the Lotus, Lotus Hotel. Hotel and Casino. Bianca is there. But, gasp, it's weird. It's Dream Logic. It's Hunter Bianca with the quiver. And she's not responsive. Literally. And when Nico tries to scream, he can't. Quote, he literally had no mouth. Beneath his nose, where his lips had been, was a pale line of scar tissue. I said, ah, I said, oh, no, the horror. Visceral. I said, I'm scared. That is, that's a bodily description. I'm freaked out. That is a lot for a middle grade book. And then he falls and we're somewhere else now. Where are we? We are on the Williamsburg Bridge. Oh my God. The Williamsburg Bridge of the famous bridge that I could not bike up without an electric bike because Carter told me we didn't need to get the electric bikes because the electric bikes are expensive. And it said I had to walk my butt hey, up hey, hey, the hey, Williamsburg hey. Bridge. Let's clarify some things here. A, there were not enough electric bikes for us because of charging and also they ran out. B, I believe it's the fault of uh, the the gears. And when I say the fault of the gears, I mean, um, you were using the, the wrong gear. The fault of Erica not knowing how to use gears. 
we should have. I'm actually kind of mad we didn't like take a picture on the Williamsburg Bridge. No, the Williamsburg Bridge because is it's so gorgeous. important in Percy Jackson lore. It, it's like hard to make this connection because it the Williamsburg Bridge is like red and metallic and it kind of is giving theme yeah. park a little bit it is giving theme park it is because it looks like a roller coaster so it structure. looks like a roller coaster and it's a hill anyway we'll take a picture next connects time. to williamsburg so that's Sly. a thing about it um, the williamsburg bridge is where we had the showdown against the minotaur in the last olympian this is the first battle where we're actually defending manhattan from Kronos's armies. This is where Kronos shows up for the first time. This is where Percy where Michael stabs you disappears. the ground. Where Michael you disappears. And by disappears, we mean dies. Will was there. Will was there. Yes, this is where Annabeth gets very, very seriously injured protecting Percy's spot by instinct. And then Will has to go rush her away and, and be a medic. That's all happening. And that's all happening in the dream sequence. Nico's like, where are we? This doesn't look familiar, but actually, I do know my, know my New York geography. I have bicycled places. Um, it's a Williamsburg Bridge, but bicycled all the way up to I, Percy's apartment. He's on the bridge, but he's like, "But, but I wasn't here. This is wrong. This is fake." He's still like, "There's still some lucidity. He's noticing things that are wrong, but he is watching this scene go down where it's Kronos and it's Annabeth and it's Percy and it's Will and it's Michael. You, everyone is turning to him." And saying, listen. And he's like, I am. Like, please Just quit it. Me. And then Kronos's scythe, like, hurdles towards Nico's face. And then he's in the darkness. Quote, by this point, he was just irritated. A person could only take so much terror and misery before it started to get really annoying. This weird dream jumping through memories and events seemed so unnecessary. I get the message, he thought. I will listen. Isn't that good enough? And then we're in the jar. The jar which you will remember from oh God, the, jar. the Mark of Athena. Where Nico I knew got we had to get to the jar. By the twin giants. And he is he is subsisting off of a pomegranate seed a day as a prisoner. Nico's dream had taken him back to the jar. It was all things considered not exactly Nico's favorite memory. Okay, but then we start to get into the dream of it all because <laughs> Nico from the jar gets rescued by Percy. Which we know and it, we're reminded of in the text. Like this is wrong. Percy was there when this was happening. But it was not Percy who opened the jar. Nico gazed up into Percy's face, which was framed by tussled black hair. His green eyes looked stormy, his mouth twisted down in concern. There was a time when just the thought of Percy had made Nico feel an intense pit of desire in his gut. It was an unrequited desire, of course, because Percy was never going to have the same feelings for Nico. It had torn Nico up for a long, long time. After a while, though, he became used to the idea that he wanted things he couldn't have. Percy, Bianca, his mother, stability, it was all the same. Getting over Percy was easier than Nico expected. What was one straight boy when you spent your whole life longing for the impossible? Oh. Okay, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> what was one straight boy when you spent your whole life longing for the impossible? Nico. That's a Nico thought. And then the dream accentuates itself where the fighting is done. Percy's just reaching down to Nico. Again, this is not what happened. We're, this is giant Percy dream into logic. tiny Nico. And Percy is getting bigger and bigger and Nico's getting smaller and smaller and Percy's getting further away even as It's metaphorical. And what does Percy tell Nico at the end of all this? Nico, Nico, listen. You have to go. We made a mistake. You have to fix it. Whoa, that's... That's shade. 
That um, is something wild, right? Because like, again, we've never experienced these like colorful gray pages before. So we don't know exactly what, these do feel like dreams and nightmares that are different from the many, many demigod dreams we've had before, where in those demigod dreams, there was always a possibility that what you were seeing was actually happening. And, and a lot of the time it was actually happening. Like was that was trying to communicate with you. Yeah. Right. So at this point, like we don't necessarily know if this is actually Percy trying to send a message to Nico. It's honestly could be anyone's guess at this point, or if it's Nico's subconscious, or if it's something trying to show Nico things. Yeah. And now it's for the final stage. We're oh, really God. doing the we just are hammered, the greatest hits. Nico trauma tour. I think late, right after this, it says Nico's greatest trauma hits, volumes one and two. <laughs> Which means next stop, Cupid. Yep. This is fascinating. What is there to say about this? Jason wasn't there because even in the dream, Jason is dead. Wow. Okay, yeah, and we should we should mention this. A new pit opened in Nico's stomach. Most of the time, emptiness was his best friend, but there was a vacancy in his heart that had not been filled since Jason, ever since he... Nico gulped. Even in this ridiculous dream, Jason was gone. Nico wiped a tear from his cheek. Okay, this has to stop. He said, please, just let me wake up. This goes on, this goes on. Um, Jason grabbing Nico and lifting him from the air while they chased down Favonius, the strange winged man who had been buying an ice cream cone in Dalmatia. Things had seemed so much simpler then. When you saw a wind god buying ice cream, you chased him. When anyone tried to touch you, you lashed out. Nico had always hated being touched. As soon as Jason set him down that day, Nico had barked, don't ever grab me again. Now staring at that unnerving bust of Diocletian, Nico wished for nothing more than to feel Jason Grace's protective arms around him. But Jason wasn't here. There's a lot in that. There's a lot in that. I first want to say Nico like longing for the days when he was just angry all the time because it was easier yeah. than having to like sit with his feelings and like do the work. That is so real. Again, the healing process. <laughs> and I think this highlights Nico and Jason not being best friends per se, but Nico like experiencing the loss as very challenging. Mm-hmm. Because again, it's just an, like that list, like, Percy, Bianca, his mom, stability. It's just something else. Like as soon as he got close to somebody, they died. Yeah. Okay. So we're, we're beginning to recreate that whole set of experiences, but without Jason. There's a line at the bottom of page 31 that says, this experience had torn a wound in Nico that still hadn't healed. Very specific, explicit about where we are in our recovery process. And also like naming, I don't think that we've really talked about how difficult that was for Nico ever since it happened. Yeah. So just the like canon acknowledgement that the forced outing was not a good thing. Again, I feel safe in yeah, this book. Yeah, that's important. <laughs> what do we get here? Nico really, really hated being called cute. Of course. At least I am hashtag on brand in my dreams. <laughs> <laughs> Mark. <laughs> Falling apart into a mess of emotions. And then he thought Will would hate that joke. Oh? What? Translate oh? that O oh for me, Carter. I think there's something so interesting about that two levels of thought where he he's like, he has a level in which he's processing things the way that he always has and feels like a default for him. And then he hears the the, the other voice <laughs> reflecting yeah. a, a judgment upon that processing. Yeah, 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 yeah. And like maybe the direction of the judgment is good, but the fact of the two-stage thought process is fascinating. We're like, establishing this hurdle in their relationship. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, and then we're there. We're there with Cupid. Nico says, let's get on with it then. I'm here. Again, I had no idea we would get to this moment so early on in the book. I know. Not five chapters fast. into the book. 
this is page 33. Literally, <laughs> we're having the conversation. Nico's like, I don't need convincing. I'll go to Tartarus. That's not enough. I do feel that this was very effective. There's something so deeply re-horrifying and differentially and increasingly horrifying about Nico coming back to the site of his trauma and being like, I have learned this, whatever lesson this was supposed to teach me and being told, no, actually you haven't. Oh God, the PTSD of it all. There, there is more for you to do. You don't actually get it. Yeah. The processing is not done, unfortunately. It takes multiple revisitations. And then at one point, the voice shows up behind him. And this is the bottom of 33, quote, it was an instantaneous reaction, a fear so primal that without even thinking it, without issuing the command, Nico called forth skeletons. They rose from the earth beneath his feet, moss and dirt and decay hanging from their bones. They ringed Nico, their stick-like arms in defensive postures, ready to fight for him. Turn around, Nico. Look upon me. The voice had shifted direction again. Nico did not want to look. He had no rational reason to believe this, but he was convinced that if he actually did see Cupid, he would die. Please, Nico, look at me. The voice had changed. It was warm, like honey, like a late summer sunset, like the first rush of heat from a campfire. It was Cupid, no, it was love. Nico turned slowly and there stood Will Solis, his golden hair lit oh so perfectly in the dreamlike daylight in the dreamlike daylight of Salona. Wow. And then Will, Will continues to say, listen, listen, listen. So now this is Will talking directly to him in his nightmare. As Cupid. As love. And we do get a little more that is plot relevant at the bottom, perhaps. <laughs> Foreshadowing. Will says, you have something to do, Nico. It's more than you think. When the time comes, tell me the truth. Nico laughed. There was an edge of hysteria to his voice, but laughter was the only reaction that made sense at this point. Sure, Will. Cupid? Quill? Wupid, what do I call you? <laughs> Will's face elongated like putty, his mouth opening wide, wider, so that Nico could see sharp, needle-like teeth lining his gums. Nico tried to back up, but the thing, whatever it was, leaped forward and screamed one last command. Wake up. The needle-like teeth? Arachne, arachne! That same description. Should we leave it there? Is that a good place for us to end, actually? Oh my god, wait, Carter. You're so smart. I'm not trying to rush this book, if yeah. you know what I mean. Like, yeah. we've never gotten to read alongside everybody a book for the first time. And I'm just having, I love this book. And I think everything is so juicy about it. And I also know that everyone is taking their own different timeline with reading it. You know, everyone's going at their own pace. Mm -hmm. So we'll probably err on the side of going slower than going faster. The one thing that we didn't hit today that I wanted to talk about, which I think maybe is because it comes up in chapter five a bit more, is just um, the cyclical nature of this book and of PTSD, which really is the central framing device. Like if you think about the framing device is telling the story to this, you know, Gorgyra, who we don't know who that is yet, and of mm -hmm. these dreams and these nightmares coming back, mm -hmm. the framing device is what it means to like be somebody who's healing from PTSD, retelling these stories, re-experiencing them mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and the cyclical nature of that, which for someone who's a son of Hades is also really special because when we think about oh, yes. cycles, when we think about grudges regenerating, which is also something that, you know, has to do with Tartarus and going to the underworld, like we, the, what is the biggest, you know, most 
predominant cycle we know of it's the cycle of life and death so for mm -hmm. things to like come up and go down and come back up again like that's a very child of hades thing and holding grudges is his fatal flaw because i think holding that grudge prevents him from experiencing that cycle and from seeing it for what it is that's just something i've been thinking a lot about with this book and also what it means to hear voices and mm. i don't know i'm doing i'm doing a play reading right now where like the predominant like biggest theme is that the main character is hearing voices and like his father also heard voices and we've been talking about like what that means as far as if that's a gift or if that's a curse and what it means for something to keep coming back to you when the time is right you know oh <laughs> to have God. so much mana that it keeps appearing to you um oh, wow because you need to listen to it that sounds so intense and good wow it I need to read this fucking Ruth Ozeki book before we go to the <laughs> You do need to read it. Read everybody the book of form and emptiness. But yeah, I've been thinking a lot about that. And I'm really excited to keep talking about this. <laughs> As someone who I'm sure this is, will come up sooner or later is also hashtag healing from PTSD and is in therapy right now. Um, this book is such a well-timed thing in my life. So very happy to be here with everyone. <laughs> Okay, cool. I guess we'll stop there for now. So we made it to page 35. We will do our best, I guess, to give updates after we record each episode of like how far you need to read to for each week. Mm -hmm. And uh, keep sending us messages about your reading. Keep posting about the book. And uh, follow us on social media at Seaweed Brain Podcast, Instagram at Seaweed Brain Pod, Twitter. You can now follow Erica's, um, you know, recording artist Spotify account. <laughs> with um over four thousand monthly listeners as well four thousand oh monthly God. listeners in like three days mind you um okay yeah. sure, 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 sure. <laughs> and we also have a patreon so if you want more content from us talking about things we have an episode on everything everywhere at once we have an episode on crazy ex-girlfriend we have an episode on tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow and we have an episode on the grishaverse and for may is this confirmed? Are we going to lock this in? Announce it, Carter. For May, I think the plan is that we are doing the Shinkai Fame Trilogy, if you were. This is going to be Kimi no Nawa, translated as Your Name, Tenkinoko, Weathering With You, and Suzume. And that will be on our Patreon. So the link will be in the show notes. It's patreon.com slash seaweedbrain. Join us there if you so desire to support us, support the show, have more content. And we will see you guys next week for some more The Sun and the Star. Yay! This is so fun! <laughs> bye, all. All right. Bye, guys. <laughs>